Welcome to the podcast series by Great Place to Work, ASEAN and ANZ. This is where we dive into the world of current workplace issues, bringing you stories from leaders of best workplaces in Singapore. Welcome to our Great Place to Work podcast. I am Evelyn Koek, Managing Director at Great Place to Work, and I believe that work has a power to transform society. Today, I am really happy to have with me Praise Mock, Deputy CE of Rohe, who is also an old friend and once colleague. Rohe is a learning and consulting organization, a Singapore best workplace in 2022, and a certified organization for multiple years since 2015. And their corporate mission statement is to inspire hope, joy, courage, and purpose in the global workforce partnering with leaders and catalysts to build cultures that honour both people and results. Founded in 2007, Rohe is a SME with over 50 employees, and I know they are a front-runner in the area of flexible work arrangements since the company was established. And this was way before COVID-19 happened, and many companies have not yet jumped on the flexible work arrangement bandwagon yet. You know, Praise, I just want to, I'm not sure if you remember, my earliest memory of you, um, it's still vivid in my mind. Is it? We were in um, we were in our old office mm-hmm. in the old AIG building in mm-hmm. the corner, mm-hmm. and my first conversation was with you was you coaching me on what to look out for when uh, looking for or engaging or hiring a domestic help. I was pregnant with Vera then, okay. some seventeen years ago. Okay, um, you in your very coaching, mentoring tone, you know, as you are today. <laughs> I remember you taking time. I, I didn't know you very well then. Mm-hmm. But you sat down, you spoke with me, you shared with me on what to look out for. Until today, when I think of you, I remember back those 18 years ago when, you know, you just coming and very warmly, kindly, generously sharing your expertise and you are the expert in psychometric profiling tools. And that was something that stayed with me until today. Wow. Thank you. Wow. That's a memory. <laughs> That's a memory, right? From many, many years ago. Gosh. And I was just talking about Rohe's uh, mission statement. Your mission statement is to inspire hope, joy, courage, and purpose. Mm, yes. And you know, many years ago, when I first saw Rohe, uh, Rohe's mission statement, I remember thinking to myself, wow, I love this. I love that your mm. mission statement is not about being the leading training administrator, but there's so much mission, so much purpose, and you're going beyond just about being a profit-making organization. Um, And I think this mission statement today, inspire hope, joy, courage, and purpose, it must mean a lot more in today's environment. Yeah, maybe you could just share about um, how did this mission statement come about many years ago? Um, I I will say that it wasn't something that we started the business with. Um, but it got clarified along the way that what is the one thing that we want to do and the one thing that we feel uh, is going to make a difference. And I think that's how it slowly emerged uh, in the course of... I mean, when we first started, it was really about being able to have friends you know, grow old together. Wow, yeah. that's so nice. Yeah, that was that was a start when, when I was CEO, Rachel. When, when she said... Um, I, I think I, I want to start a practice that will do that. And so we basically got together and just uh, did what we needed to do. Um, 
And then it got to a certain place in the business where we began to see that, okay, you know, we, we have uh, found a way in which um, through training, uh, we are able to impact lives. Um, and then which lives? So, I mean, there were different conversations around that. But finally, it came down to how do we want to have them impacted? And that's where we got Hope, Joy, Courage and Purpose show up. And not just for like the local workforce, but also for the for the global workforce. Mm. Yeah. So, Rohe was founded in 2007. Mm. We are looking about 16 years in business today. Yes, that's um, correct. That's, that's, that's a long time, right? That's, mm. It's been a journey. Um, still young. <laughs> still young, still yeah. young, definitely, you know, still young. But if you think about what's been happening over the past two to three years, right? And today, this is where we're here to discuss. We're here to speak and to chat about how leaders and employees can tackle change and transition in the workplace. Change and transition, two very, two buzzwords that we are hearing, you know, so much today in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Perhaps let's just talk about, let's start with just about ourselves, changes, right? And how changes have affected us personally mm-hmm. as individuals. And if you think about the past two years, changes have happened in the form of how we show up at work, mm-hmm. in the form of work arrangements. Pre-pandemic, it was in-person. Then we moved to a full two years of remote work. And today we're looking at hybrid work arrangements. Mm-hmm. As a result of these changes in work arrangements, it has also led to a change in the ways of working, a change in how we partner, work with one another, how team members collaborate with one another. There's a need now for us to use a whole host of virtual online tools for us to work, digital applications. Um, they are things that when you and I were working in our old office some 18, 20 years ago, they were not there, right? In the past, yeah. we try very much in in-person communications, in reading the room. When you do training a lot, Kurohe is known and famous for your high-energy experiential training. You know, it's a lot about making sense of the energy in the room. Mm. Um, and change has happened in the larger society in the past one to two years. We're talking about wars, talking about inflation, talking about the great recognition to the great layoffs. And of course, all these topics around people being overworked, people feeling burnt out, focus on mental well-being. These are all changes that's happened in the past two years. It's a lot. Just, I mean, as you're listing it, you know, you, you feel breathless, right? Totally. There's <laughs> so many. Yeah, yeah. And all at the same time. Mm. Yeah. How did all these changes make you feel in the past two years? As Maybe first as an individual. Well, I think one word that that would come to mind would be overwhelming. Mm. You know, often feeling uh, like it's a lot and it's all happening at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think when COVID first hit, um, the nature of our business being face-to-face as you had described, then it went within a week, it went to zero. So we needed to move everybody uh, on. I think at the time was DOSCON Orange, I think. Mm. But I mean, I... Yeah, it was orange. So um, we needed to get everybody back to the house, to their homes. Um, and then, of course, that's the time when all the kids did. So I have four kids. So everybody studied it. <laughs> Those were the days home-based that learning. Home. That was also the year that um, I had A-levels, O-levels and PSLE oh, wow. in the same you year. You are a brave woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, I would say that that 
the the sheer number of things happening, um, it was overwhelming. So I think change and transition, and in this season, needs to take into account um, the sheer uh, magnitude of the layers of things that are changed. Mm. Yeah, because it. I mean, if we talked about it from an organizational level, we just like one thing. Yeah. But this is like global level. Yeah. You know, it's like a world war. So yeah, I think it's a lot. I, I think we all need to give ourselves a pat on the back. We made it. Yeah. We made it out. Globally, all yeah, at the same time. Yeah, we all made time. it out. So, yeah. so I'm, I mean, different shapes and forms, but but for us who did come through it, I think, yeah, it's um, it's a victory in itself. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. It's a trauma of it. Mm. Um, it is not just a pandemic. Yeah. It is everything happening at both the global societal organizational and personal level. Yes. Right? Yeah. It all happens and we're still trying to make sense of that. Yeah. And today I think we want to talk about change, transition, how great workplaces, how leaders like our, like yourselves and whom you speak to, how do we help employees navigate through this? Mm. This is this is what and you know, Rohe, you have been working and Praise, you have been working with different leaders and organizations. Could you share some stories of how you have witnessed leaders or employees, how they've effectively navigated through these challenges and uncertainties? And perhaps, what are some essential qualities that shine during a period like this? Maybe maybe I can um, speak about one of the core responsibilities of a relational leader, which is, the well, typically we call it the first responsibility, and that is to recognize reality. Mm. Um, so the reality for many of us is different. Yes. Right? Um, for a business owner, it will be, is my business going to survive? Is there enough, you know, cash flow? Uh, how am I going to pay my people? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, and for, for the staff, it may be, what's going on with my workload? I mean, this is crazy. I'm stretched. I'm working 14-hour days, et cetera. So everybody's reality is different. And I think one of the things that we work in with internally in Rohe and also with our clients is to work towards recognizing the larger reality, mm. which is, this is what I'm going through. This is what you're going through. So that, and that's what the other person's going through. So that as a whole, right, um, we are able to then understand and appreciate the larger reality and therefore uh, be able to then take steps to navigate it you know, a little bit better. Mm. Yeah. So that one of them would be to be able to recognize reality. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I love that. I love that recognition that no one's scenario is the same. No one's mm. environment is the same. So first, to even be aware, to recognize and to accept that is a huge win, right? Because in yeah. many times when you go to the workplace, um, bosses see people as that asset to deliver on a task but we don't recognize that for every single person that's there, they bring with them the home context, the personal context. So this ability to recognize the larger reality is, is, is so powerful. Mm. I'm curious, how do you therefore help leaders or individuals to recognize that bit? So when we work with um, organizations, one of the things that we do initially in our discovery process is actually to have the conversations with them first. Mm. And that is a process of then recognizing the realities of different members of the, for example, the senior management 
you know, the senior leadership team. And then being able to create a platform where they are able to then recognize, we broker, you know, the recognition of the realities mm-hmm. um, because we've had the opportunity to listen to um, this person, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think that would be one of the ways. Mm-hmm. The other one would be to facilitate increased understanding. Um, one of my colleagues uh, will often say, hey, you know what? We are not just here to keep the peace. We are, we are not just peacekeepers. Mm. We are peacemakers. That's right. Yeah. yeah. There's no one's reality which is simpler, easier, or more difficult than the others. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm just wondering, you know, when we work years ago or in my parents' generation, this ability to understand and to accept the softer aspects or the larger aspects of life wasn't there, right? In When I first started in the workforce 20 over years ago, you just do what you needed to do. There was no consideration of whatever struggles you're going through. You be professional. You just show up and you just do the work. Whatever you just described does require the leaders and colleagues around to have the skill set, the I hate to use the word soft skills because it's not soft skills, but it's human skills, mm-hmm. you know, to do that bit. How do you think our workforce today are equipped with skills like this? Or even, not yeah. workforce, it's about even leaders, right? You know, the thing about it is that these core skills, um, whether or not we are leaders or whether we are individual contributors, um, the degree to which we are able to develop muscle in that area is the degree to which we will be stronger together. So short answer to the question is everybody needs it. Mm. But my observation is that the the group that currently would benefit from it the most actually would be the, the managers in the middle mm. um, because the stress on them is the greatest. Yes, I agree. So they're sandwiched, right? Yeah. They need to manage up, manage down. Mm. And they typically also need to do a lot of translation mm. of like what you know, the senior leadership team might be saying and then translate that down to um, granular like action steps. Mm. Okay, guys, this in this department is what we need to do, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it, it's quite a lot there. And um, some of the skills that we are observing help to build um, those safe spaces in the midst of transition would be supporting managers so that they can be more coach-like mm-hmm. so that they can um, uh, listen more, mm-hmm. they can ask more, tell less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these are some of the uh, work that we have been doing. I think as I was mentioning, the, the managers, uh, people managers, I think they will benefit the most Yeah. Uh, at this point. Everybody needs it, but I will say that if they're supported in being able to understand how to navigate this and it's not about solutions you know it's not about giving them this is how you answer this particular issue when it surfaces Um, actually it's the reverse it's more giving them the ability to ask you know how are you doing how is this impacting you Um, how about your family how's you how are you impacted how's your health and etc so asking more telling less you're you're totally right Um, at Great Place, we we have access to the practices of the best workplaces around the world. And we did see, even during pandemic and post-pandemic, that what are the great practices that 
best workplaces do uh, is that they have been very intentional to provide the support to the line leaders. The recognition that what they are expected to deliver and to do today has expanded so much. They take on beyond functional technical goals and targets. Uh, there is a need for them to be a coach, to be a mentor. There's a need for them to have the emotional capacity it's to a listen, lot. to yeah. ask. They have to be everything, right? And therefore, these best workplaces are very intentional to provide the space and the support and the resources to enable line leaders to provide the support downwards. And I think that you know this is really a great, um, a, a great recognition. And it makes me think, for line leaders to be able to demonstrate empathy, to show, to have the capacity to ask their people, how are you? Their own emotional tank needs to be filled to the top. I can't give what I don't have, right? I can't show care and love and concern for a sustained period of time if I run on the empty myself, right? It must mean that they, their own tank, must be filled up, must be filled up and what would you think be, would be some, what would you recommend as some strategies that line leaders can have to fill up their own emotional tank so that they can in turn fill up the tanks of the people that reports into them? Yeah, and that that's actually um, a great observation and um, so true. One of the things that for ourselves and also for many of our clients that we've, uh, that we've done is actually to embark on mentoring. Mm. Um, and that relationship is is an interesting one because it doesn't then follow the or organizational construct. Um, because if your mentor were your reporting officer, it's an issue. Um, of course, then, if you had an issue with your reporting officer, how are you going to talk about it, right? But in a mentoring relationship, it allows you the freedom to be able to speak to somebody else who is not um, part of that, uh, that maybe that situation you're going through. So we do find that having peer mentoring is helpful. The other thing that we have found and also have put in place is coaching. Yeah. So we have we are coached in uh, ourselves. Uh, our managers are, are coached. Our heads are coached. At the same time, we we um, have a practice of coaching that we started that we then offer to our clients too. And I think that is an in increasingly showing up as uh, a practice that many people have benefited from. Um, I mean, depending on the organization, sometimes mentoring is tricky because perhaps in an organization where the sense of like psychological safety isn't quite present yet, mentoring might be risky. Um, so having an external coach, for, for instance, um, is helpful. Maybe sometimes in relation to um, stretch targets or developmental areas, etc. So that, that's when it's, it's helpful. But I think having a combination of the two would be great. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you, and I, I love the idea, is that leaders need to have that space to be heard by someone outside a reporting relationship. Mm -hmm. And if I think back of my own experience, I think it's really true. Whenever I find that I'm in a bind or I'm stuck or I feel depleted, having that relationship with someone to speak through, the other person may not have the solution for me, but that sounding, that sounding board, that space to talk through things, right? That space to, to unknot whatever thoughts or whatever 
things I'm working through, that helps me, that gives me that space, that support that I need. Um, the ability to feel that I'm supported. I am, that I have I have an emotional, I have, a, I have an emotional, what's the word? Emotional, um, emotional clutch, emotional support that can help me through that. So mm. I'm hearing you that we need to provide that space for leaders to, to be able to do that. Yeah, and I think it's occurring to me as well that for for the people managers, I mean, in this instance, we happen to be talking about people managers. Um, one of the ways in which they can be also supported in that is that, uh, I mean, to take on the role rather, mm. is that when they are expected uh, uh, to, you know, spend more time with their staff, do mentoring and all that, that, that actually factors in as part of um, their allowable time. Mm. So they're not finding themselves needing to do this over and above in a given workday. You can factor that in and, you know, put that in, uh, clock that in uh, as part of uh, the way in which you would be managing your team so that you actually create um, that ability for the manager to say, if you want me to do my work, like my functional skill, and you want me to also look after the people, then I need this kind of time. You know, Otherwise, it can be like load upon load. That's right. Yeah. It's already putting, piling on, but I already have a very overflowing plate. Yeah. So if I'm listening to you today, and I don't work in an organization that recognizes that, mm -hmm. but I love the idea of having a mentor, a coach, someone to speak to, how would you recommend I do next? So that's a tricky question because uh, the immediate thought in my head is I'm not sure whether the culture is ready for that. But assuming there is openness, I think being able to, uh, to, to raise that as a suggestion is great. But actually, the other way is if you, if you yourself are feeling like, you know what, I think that it would be great to have a mentor. Um, go ahead and ask somebody. You know, just uh, say, you know, I really think that you're, you're, I can learn so much from your experience. Would you be open to be my mentor? Literally just asking that question. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. There's, there, there's that. Well, if I move back to the organizational perspective, one key, one key tool that helps transition is when leaders are clear and when leaders are empathetic in their communication. Could you share some tips on how leaders can communicate effectively? How leaders can promote confidence and trust among teams and stakeholders? Interestingly enough, one thing I've learned even for, I mean, on a personal level is that to communicate clearly requires you to be able to play back well. Um, what I mean by that is part of that process of recognizing reality is to listen. The other part of it, which would be, I think, the strength of a, a, a true communicator is to be able to play back mm. and say, this is why I hear you say. Would that be about right? You know, um, do you want to add anything to that? Um, how does that make you feel? You know, for example. So um, being able to communicate clearly, I think, first of all, <clears throat> would involve being able to reflect back. I, I think one of the most powerful things that we can do in terms of communication is to offer a playback to what the other person's saying. So, and that's my own personal learning. Um, just because I ask 
doesn't help the other person to know that they've been hurt unless I'm able to play back accurately what they're saying. This is why I hear you say, um, would that be about right? No. How does this make you feel, etc. So I do find that in change and transition, one of the most powerful things that we can do to communicate actually is to learn how to play back. Because that is the process of collecting that greater reality. And in that would also be the opportunity to pick up solutions. Um, I found that in having conversations with different ones, they are seeing things that I'm not seeing. Right? They're recognizing that actually, if you go this way, there are many repercussions operationally that, um, that we're going to experience. And um, so then in that conversation will be, oh, really, then what do you think we should do? I don't think we should proceed for example, which has been given to me before. I mean, some advice from the team. And so part of that communication then is being able to help that person feel like they've been heard and understood so that when that larger communication happens in the team or, you know, uh, across the larger, like the, the, the all of all, then they already feel like actually, yeah, we are representing what I was trying to to say to you or to, to somebody else. You are, you are representing that. I feel represented. I feel heard. And some of the, the things that you're looking to put in place as, you know, because of the change transition. Yeah, hey, that's, that's a good idea. Why? Because that was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 So, so I, think, I think that is occurring to me as one of the most powerful things that we can do, especially during change when people are not sure yeah. What to do next? That's a great perspective. Uh, in fact, at Great Place, uh, we say that there are nine high-trust behaviours that leaders can demonstrate in order to build trust. That First is that trust is built in the small moments. It is not the big things that we do. It is an accumulation of small things that we do. And if there's any one superpower that leaders need to demonstrate, is that superpower of listening. Right? And like you say, it's not listening with an aim to respond back, but listening with an open mind, with an aim of understanding, with an aim of seeing things from the, the other person's perspective. And now you are saying that to play it back so that the other person knows that you actually hear what they say and you get the emotions behind that, right? Yeah. That's what, that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Um, there is a there's a phrase I've been mulling over the this past couple of weeks. It's it's not a phrase that we've not heard before. Everyone, my, my colleagues, they all know that I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown. And she says in one of her podcasts that to be clear is kind. Yeah. To yes. be clear is kind. And that set me thinking because in our Asian context, in the Singapore context, Many a times we are conflict avoidant. We do not dare to be explicit. We do not want to burn bridges. We, you know, skim things over, sweep things under the carpet. But sometimes when we are not clear in our expectations with our colleagues, with our team members, that's not being kind to them because they therefore are unsure about what ex what's expected of them. Right, what what's your perspective to to, to this to this um, leadership principle? First of all, I I entirely agree with it, but I do think that often it's in the delivery that we get stuck. Right, clear is kind, and then so, it's easy to say a maxim, right? I mean, how do you live it out? 
Exactly. Because somebody might say, yeah, I'm being clear to you. And then you feel like you've been slapped. Right? <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, so right. so it really is in the delivery of mm. it as well. So yes, I, I entirely uh, agree. In fact, one of the la- the biggest calls in the midst of change and transition is clarity. Yeah. Like, where are we going? Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on? Somebody uh, give me an idea of what's happening. So clarity is one of the most sought after things uh, in the midst of change because people can't figure out what to do. Where to go? Are we going the but right track? I see as an oxymoron, you know, in a change, clarity is what you do not have because they yes. change, they change by the moment, by the, by, because things change, right? Yeah. And you can't have absolute clarity all the time. Yeah. So I, I do feel the magic here is being able to figure out what can we be clear about mm. and what are some things that we have to say, hey, you know what, we just need to work it out and we need to figure it out together. Yeah. So I, I do think that um, being clear is kindness um, and being able to deliver it in a way that is helpful to the other person. That means not just for me. I'm not, am I, I'm clear for me. <laughs> like how much clearer can I be? It's whether the person, the other side thinks, yeah, that's clear for me. Yeah. You know, um, and one of the things I do, I, I, I do observe is that mixing the idea of being able to connect and to challenge, right? Which I think that Kim Scott's book on radical candidates talks about, like, you want to connect with, with care, but you also want to challenge well, um, is actually a mix of systems and structures together with um, relational ability. Mm. Because I do see that often when people are leaning just on being relational, but you don't have systems and structures to support, then you get an overweight on just being nice. So what I mean by that would be clarity around your individual work plan, your KPIs, you know, clarity around those things. And um, as an organization, building that kind of clarity that's actually super helpful because it allows then the manager to be able to, um, uh, it allows the manager to be able to, to say, okay, let me try and work with you to see how to support you to better achieve your own KPIs, um, including giving you developmental, you know, input. Yeah. And whereas when that is not so present, then that's also the place where if I'm trying to be kind and be clear at the same time, but there isn't that clarity, right? Of, actually, I'm not sure what I'm doing. I don't know what my, you know, KPIs are like, etc. And that's actually a, a, a place where then there's potentially a lot of miscom, miscommunication that could happen. Do you believe that people in general are trying to give their best? I do. I do. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that I learned. I, I believe that. I believe that um, that all my colleagues who come to work, I believe that every one of them wants to give their best. And I believe that when we have that generous assumption of where people come from, that allows us to operate from a place of trust. And that allows us to operate from the, from the place of always being able to assume positive intent. That when I don't understand a certain action or a word that's being spoken, I will first default to believing and trusting that you have the best intent before I clarify. And, and I've learned that that comes from a place where my basic premise is that everyone comes to work wanting to give their very best. Yeah. I think my observation is 
that sometimes people will experience a workplace where people come to work to give their best, but maybe it's for their, their success, you know. And that's where sometimes you run into relational um, issues. So perhaps the challenge then would be, how do we, within like, the organizations as, as leaders, people, managers, help um, that particular staff to see that when you succeed um, in a way that helps everybody succeed, then your success is greater. So that, that their personal agenda is woven into and aligns with the corporate you know, agenda and where my personal success and the corporate success are the same. And actually the reality is that where they cannot be the same, then maybe for that particular individual, uh, they should succeed somewhere else where they believe that you know, their philosophy is consistent with what the organization believes. Mm. Yeah, so a little slightly different spin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, you know, um, in our final question to close this up, there's just so much going on, praise. There's so much that's expected of the individual, whether you are in a uh, individual contributor role or you are a leader. And I don't think that the challenges ahead is going to abate anytime soon, right? Therefore, supporting employees' emotional and mental well-being is so critical. How would you recommend leaders think about in supporting their employees' well-being? That's one. A second, what would you recommend for leaders to do for themselves to make sure that their, their emotional tank is, com is consistently refueled from time to time so that they can go, go and last the distance? Mm. Um, we we had a uh, we had a colleague who was going through a, a difficult period, and um, found it hard to uh, you know come out of the house. Yeah, for a period of time, it was a season, and part of the arrangement then was we said it's okay. The the, the HOD said it's okay. Why don't we work it out so that um, you work remotely, um, and and we kind of take it from there, and and we track how you're doing, you know. And I and I thought that that was very kind and considerate, very gracious of the HOD to suggest that, because obviously that that would then be you need to work out with HOD uh, with with HR etc. Just kind of like keep them in the loop. So I think that kind of flexibility that we want to give the people managers as well to say we trust you to to lead your people. And um, if, there, if there are things going on that you know of, um, you have the flexibility and the empowerment to, to do something about it. So here is where, again, that idea of the structure and the systems need to be in place to support your, your kindness. Mm. Yeah. But if that is in place, then actually giving uh, people managers the, um, that, that freedom and the empowerment um, goes a really long way because you know we're we're so multifaceted yeah. and we go through so many things in our life, right? And I think that um, for for the leaders, people leaders, or um, SMT senior management teams and all that, it's not easy. You know, I was just taking a look at the stats: sixty to seventy percent of CEOs are wondering whether or not they should quit. <laughs> so, so that, 
so that they can live the life they want, you know? Yeah. So That's quite encouraging stats for me, actually. <laughs> yeah, I actually went to check because I... Where I did it come from? Where did the stats come from? Oh, two places. Oh, I one was 70 that. and one was 60. And I thought, wow, that's, that's you know, not low, right? Yeah. Um, it just I, means that we're all not alone. No, absolutely not. Yeah. We're, we're not alone. And it does kind of like say a little bit about the kind of pressure that leaders go through. Is real. Yeah. yeah, it's so real. So I, I, I do feel that maybe, you know, especially for senior leaders, they, they need to feel that it's okay. Um, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever you, you are experiencing, somebody else who has to shoulder that same responsibility as you feels that as well. So be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. If you need to take a break, take a break mm. you know if you need to delegate out a bit more do that and that's okay because you got a lot on your plate yeah and and i think just just recognizing that and then giving yourself permission to be kind to yourself um i think that that would be that would probably work wonders oh this is so good praise thank you so much for your insights for the practical wisdom right and to end off by telling us that the need for mental well-being is not is for everyone. It's for the individual contributors. It's for the line leaders. It's for CEOs. Yeah. And every one of us deserve to be kind to ourselves because we all deserve that. Absolutely. I really love this. Thank you so much. Thank you, Eve. This podcast is brought to you by Great Place to Work ASEAN, Australia and New Zealand. Your partner in transforming workplaces through our unique culture and certification program. We foster a future of work that's inclusive and fulfilling, inspiring organizations to build a culture of trust, collaboration, and engagement. Do tune in to our next episode and stay connected with us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Let's shape a truly great workplace together.